We turn again to Psalm 72, a prayer for peace. Psalm 72, a prayer for peace. Now, this is the second part of our study on Psalm 72. And we noted in our last study that this, is, this psalm is eschatological. It's looking prophetically towards the end of history. According to the superscription, it's penned by King Solomon. And so King Solomon is receiving revelation from God. He's given prophecy regarding the future messianic king and his eternal reign over all of creation. And so we divided this psalm beginning with uh, verses 1 through 7, and we looked at the prosperity of the king in verses 1 through 7. We noted that the king is prosperous, his kingdom is prosperous because of his righteousness. Verse 1 to 4, Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your afflicted with justice. Let the mountains bring peace to the people and the hills in righteousness. May he vindicate the afflicted of the people, save the children of the needy, and crush the oppressors. We also noted that the prosperity of the king and his kingdom is due to the refreshment, not just the righteousness, but the refreshment of creation, verses 5 through 7. Let them fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon, throughout all generations. May he come down like rain upon the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish, and abundance of peace, till the moon is no more. We also noted the power of the king in verses 8 through 11. Verses 8 and 9 serve as a witness to this power. May he also rule from sea to sea, and from river to the ends of the earth. Let the nomads of the desert bow before him, and his enemies lick the dust. Again, we mentioned that from sea to sea was from Solomon's perspective, from the Mediterranean to the Persian Gulf. Of course, we can, from a more global aspect, literally see that sea to sea means around the world. Uh, from the river to the ends of the earth, the river, of course, uh, speaking of the Euphrates, and you can cross-reference that with Second Samuel 10.16. And then we note at the phrase, uh, his enemies lick the dust. Uh, literally, their faces will be in the dirt uh, when he uh, returns to establish his kingdom and subdues them. So there will be a witness to his power around the world. And not only will there be a witness to his power, but in verses 10 to 11, we note it that uh, because of that, there will be worship. Because of his power, people will worship. Uh, let the kings of Tarshish and of the islands bring presents, and the kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts, and let all kings bow down before him. All nations serve him. Uh, we said that Tarshish is a reference to Spain. The isles refer to the isles of the Mediterranean, the area west of Israel. Sheba is in the south in Arabia, and Seba is in Africa. And again, Solomon's writing this from his perspective. All the surrounding nations, all the surrounding kings are going to fall before the Messiah King, and all nations will serve him. There is a universal reign. So we've noted the prosperity of the king and the power of the king. Now, in beginning in verse 12 through the end of the text, we want to begin looking at the preservation of the king. The preservation of the king. And for this, we're going to focus on verses 12 to 14. And again, we're going to divide the preservation into two parts. First, there's deliverance. Okay, the king, there's the preservation of the king in that he delivers. And then we'll see in verse 14, the delight 
that comes from this deliverance, a part of the king's program of preservation. Let's begin with deliverance, verse 12. For he will deliver the needy when he cries for help, the afflicted also, and him who has no helper. He will have compassion on the poor and needy, and the lives of the needy he will save. Now, here we see the the theme is on the king's action on behalf of the poor. Now, we need to pause here because we need to to think in in terms of what God has said previously. Go back to the Torah, to his law. God established a law for caring for who? For the poor, for the needy, for the oppressed, for the, for the helpless, for the afflicted. And we can work our way from the Torah, from the law, from Leviticus, and we can into Deuteronomy, and then we can go throughout the Old Testament, and even into the New Testament, into the Gospels, specifically, you know, Jesus' own teaching. And we see that God has a heart, God has a special place for the oppressed, for the poor, for the needy. And again, we can define who are the poor, the needy, and so forth. And basically, if we use the strict structure of, of uh, the, the law, uh, we would have orphans and widows. They're, 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 they're poor, they're helpless, because uh, in, in their culture, uh, an orphan has no father, uh, a, a widow has no husband, so they have no one to care for them, no one to uh, provide for them. And often in that culture, uh, the fatherless and the husbandless were left to beg. Uh, so they would be poor and needy. We also noted that it applies in the scriptures to those who are disabled, uh, as well as to those who are immigrants and so forth. Uh, so notice some of the terms that he uses here. The needy, the afflicted. The helpless, i.e. the one who has no helper. The poor and the needy. You know, you you, you see the reign of Christ. And again, the fulfillment of what we see in the Old Testament, that God loves the needy. God loves the poor. So much so that when his son comes to reign, he is going to preserve them. He's going to deliver them. He's going to deliver, redeem. Now, this isn't deliverance in a soteriological sense. This is deliverance, this is redemption from their physical condition. Okay, whatever, whatever has caused them to be oppressed, whether it's financial oppression or uh, physical oppression, mental oppression, uh, whatever that oppression may be, Jesus is going to remove the oppression. They will no longer be poor, they will no longer be needy, they will no longer be afflicted, they will no longer uh, be helpless. This is a complete reversal of fortune for such individuals. So the needy, those who need help, those who have no options, the king is going to take up their cause and deliver them when they cry out to him. He acts in compassion. He will have compassion on the poor. Uh, You know, again, we think of Jesus. We see that compassion even in the Gospels. As so many times he looked out upon who? The poor and needy. Those, you know, who were, were disabled with some physical illness. Uh, those who, who were oppressed, whether it was by the religious leaders or by... He looked at these people and he was filled with compassion. Even as we draw near to the cross and we see him there at the Mount of Olives looking down on Jerusalem and he's filled with compassion. Uh, not on the oppressors, 
but on those that are oppressed. And when he returns uh, and establishes kingdom, he will then uh, take up their cause and he will deliver them. And notice the result of that deliverance in verse 14. Delight. Delight. He will rescue their life from oppression and violence and their blood will be precious in his sight. Now, we're reminded in Psalm 116 and verse 15 that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You know, uh, he sees that when his saints, when his godly ones depart this earth, um, you know, it is precious. Uh, precious because they come into his presence. But here, their blood will be precious in his sight. Now, before we uh, deal with the nuance of that, a couple things. Number one, Notice how salvation or redemption is, is defined here. He rescues them, he redeems them from oppression and violence. Literally, from those who take advantage of them and from those who grind them into the dust. Okay, That's the idea of the two words, oppression and violence. Those who take advantage of them, oppression, violence, those who grind them into the dust. Now, again, the word rescue here, or redeem, means to purchase or buy them back. He is purchasing them out of bondage. You know, and again, we can't help but think of the references in Isaiah. Uh, you know, he, he comes and he uh, sets the prisoner free. He heals the brokenhearted. He, uh, you know, takes up the cause of the poor. And that's exactly what we have here. Again, not soteriological. Uh, th this is very uh, physical. This is very uh, real in the sense of he's delivering them not from a spiritual oppression, but from physical violence, physical oppression, uh, physical helplessness. Uh, now, he purchases the poor out of bondage in the same way that God purchased Israel out of Egypt. Okay, God came down and did a miraculous work in rescuing his people out of the oppression and violence of the Egyptians. And we'll see that there will be a uh, third exodus, if you will. Uh, one at the first exodus is the one that happened there with Israel. Second exodus would be a spiritual exodus in the fact of Jesus uh, redeeming us spiritually. Uh, a third exodus, exodus will occur uh, when the king returns uh, and establishes kingdom. He will uh, redeem physical uh, redemption from bondage of oppression and violence. Uh, the price is what? The king's strength, the king's energy on their behalf. Uh, he is going to exert his strength and none will stand in his way. Now, he concludes there in verse 14 saying that their blood is precious. Now, here we, you know, does it, you know, what do we mean by the blood is precious? Uh, was there something different about their blood than anybody else's blood? No. You have to re read this in reference to Leviticus 17.11. Life is in the blood. Okay, so when blood is, uh, when, when a body loses blood, when blood pours out from the body and uh, it ceases to produce blood, there's death. There's a lack of life. Life is in the blood. That's why the sacrifices were what? Bloody. Because when that blood was drained out, there was a removal of life. So what we have here, whereas in Psalm 116, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, in this case, the life of the poor is precious in his sight. He loves the poor. He came to preach the gospel to them as well. You know, and this is so vitally important because, you know, you talk about nothing new under the sun. 
Ever since the inception of sin into creation, the rich have gotten richer and have what? Oppressed the poor, the needy, the hurting, the helpless. And indeed, that's exactly what Satan has done. Uh, Satan has dominated uh, and has oppressed the world. Uh, We have legalistic religion that oppresses people. We have satanic domination that oppresses people. Uh, We we have uh, ungodly uh, wealthy people. And again, that's not to say every wealthy person is ungodly, but there are those who God has blessed with wealth who do use it for his honor and glory, who do use it to uh, deliver, if you will, or rescue individuals from oppression. But we're talking about those who are rich in the, in the world, they have earthly wealth, and they are ungodly. They do not help. They do not care for the needs of others. Uh, the rich young ruler is a perfect example. I mean, there was a guy, a ruler of the synagogue, a religious man, and yet so filled with greed, he couldn't help to relieve the needs of the oppressed. So the king is going to save them. Now, obviously, we the, the salvation has been focused on the physical, but there's also a spiritual aspect in the sense that we know that the only people going to enter into the kingdom are the sheep, are the redeemed. So not only are they physically redeemed, but they also will be spiritually redeemed uh, by the blood of Christ. So again, we look at verses 12 to 14, we see preservation in deliverance, delivering the poor, the oppressed, the hurting, the helpless, and then their response, their delight. Now, verses 15 to 17 we come to the perpetuity of the king. Perpetuity of the king. Verse 15, So he may live, and may the gold of Sheba be given to him, and let them pray for him continually, and let them bless him all day long. Now, we see wealth in verse 15. The psalmist responds to the vision of this Messiah, of this king, so he may live. Long live the king is literally what Solomon is saying. He will receive the gold of Sheba. That is, he will be given a proper tribute. And it will be made for him continually. You know, Solomon envisions a future when public prayers are going to be offered in the temple for this Messiah King. And there will be a long intercession. There will be perpetual blessing. They will bless him all day long. And this will be the people's response to Jesus' gracious reign. And again, we remember that in... uh, I believe it's uh, Zechariah, it prophesies that any nation who does not bring tribute uh, to Jesus during the Millennial Kingdom, they will experience judgment, a judgment of famine. And uh, there's a little allusion to that here. So the perpetuity, per, excuse me, the perpetuity of the king is seen in his wealth, but also in his worship, verses 16 and 17. May there be abundance of grain in the earth on top of the mountains. Its fruits will... Uh, will wave like the cedars of Lebanon, and may those from the city flourish like vegetation of the earth. May his name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines. And let men bless themselves by him. Let all nations call him blessed. Again, the king blesses his people. And we see the land is filled with bounty. There's an abundance of grain, of fruit. Uh, there's prosperity. Uh, grasses of the earth for the cities, the tops of the mountain, you know, where right now the soil is so thin it cannot produce a yield. In that day, even the tops of the mountains will be prosperous. Uh, The fruit trees will be like the cedars of Lebanon, speaking of how tall, how mighty these fruit trees will be. They're not going to be little shrubs. Uh, You know, we're going to see a return to Edenic standard in the kingdom. 
when the branch of the Lord, the Messiah, reigns. And uh, his name represents his presence and his power. His name will endure forever, and uh, people will what? They will praise him. Which brings us to the, the close of this psalm in verses 18 to 20. It closes with praise. Praise for his works and praise for his worth. Verse 18, Blessed be the God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders. Here is this great chorus of praise. Uh, the vision of the Messianic king is just so overwhelming uh, to uh, Solomon. He notes the works. He's gracious in his rule. He, he delivers the poor and needy. He blesses the land. The creation submits to him. The nations submit to him. And so all Solomon can say is, Blessed be the God of Israel. He sees the works and he gives praise. He alone works what? Wonders, miracles, extraordinary things. And Solomon closes in verse 19 and 20 on this note of praise by noting his worth. Blessed is his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Now, his name is, is so wonderful, it's so glorious, it, that Solomon says it is to be blessed forever. He is so worthy that he needs to be given the glory forever and ever. Uh, that word glory means his heaviness, his weight, weightiness. And, you know, he has triumphed over all things. Spoils will be brought back from battles over the enemy to give him honor and praise. And all he can say is, Amen and Amen. Truly, truly uh, will this occur. God is faithful and will keep his words. Now, verse 20 provides a scribal note which closes the second book of the Psalter, of the, of the Psalms. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And again, we have to understand that this was a collection. Book 2 has been a collection of Psalms written primarily by David. Of course, Solomon writes this one, but it's included as the last uh, Psalm of David. Now, of course, we know there's three other books that make up the Psalm, but this book, this part of the Psalter, is brought to a close. You know, the major themes of this Psalm reoccur in the New Testament, and we see them consistently being fulfilled in Jesus. And so we too, like Solomon, we need to look to Jesus. We need to look to our King and our Messiah. And we need to take our cues from him. We need to see how he reigns and how he rules. And we need to make sure that as we live in this world, that we imitate him uh, so that he gets the honor, so that he gets the glory. He is the awaited Messiah and he is coming and when he does, he will reign in righteousness and in peace. So let's make sure we live lives of righteousness and peace in this present world. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you giving you the praise because of your Son, through who shed his blood, who provided redemption for us. Because of who he is and what he has done, we can come boldly before your throne of grace. And so, Lord, we want to lift you up. We want to praise you. Uh, we want to praise you for your righteousness. We want to praise you that your son will reign in righteousness. And, Father, as we think of this messianic psalm, this kingly psalm, uh, Father, we don't have to wait for the king to come. He has already come into our, into our hearts, into our lives. And so, as our king, as our Lord, we submit to him and to you. Uh, Father, we, we know that uh, just as he came to or will come to deliver the poor and the needy, so he has already come to deliver 
those who are poor and needy in spirit. And that was certainly all of us, Father. Uh, we are so poor spiritually, we cannot save ourselves. We are so dependent upon you that we cannot deliver ourselves. And so, Father, we thank and praise you for the deliverance from sin, from Satan, from the curse that, uh, Father, uh, you now Bring us into your presence and you make us acceptable in the beloved. Father, we know that that occurs because of repentance. Because when we confess our sins, Father, at that moment of salvation, you took our sins and when we confess them, you forgave us. And you removed our sins from us to remember them no more. And Father, I thank you that while we live in this world, this sin-cursed world, while we still battle that sin nature, looking forward to that day when it will be removed, Father, we thank you that we can continue to come to you in penitence, in repentance, knowing that you will continue to forgive us. So, Lord, keep us safe, protect us, watch over us, Lord. Uh, whatever things we may be struggling with, whatever we may be dealing with, whether in our own lives or in the lives of others, Father, I pray that you will give us watch care, guidance, leading, and protection. So, Father, we give you the praise, we give you the glory, we look forward to that future coming kingdom of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.